You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. I'm your host, Leah. And Sophia. And if I sound a little funny today, it's because I'm home with unstable internet service. So I'm on speakerphone. My son had surgery a few days ago and had a rough night last night. So I'm just staying close by. But I'm really excited to um, meet you, Chelsea, and hear um, your story, your journey. Um, Will you just dive right in and introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Chelsea. I'm uh, an international board certified lactation consultant. Um, I do about 5,000 other things because don't we all? Um, so that can include like sleep support and energy work and um, postpartum doula work. And if I could just stop having babies, I would get into birth doula work too. But it's just uh, too many. My boobs are on tap all night long. So it, the profession, right? Yes. <laughs> it all just, I feel like when the time is right, it'll, uh, it'll come, right? It'll show up. Um, but yes, it is hard not to keep having babies when I spend so much time with, with babies, I guess it's, you know, we forget, <laughs> we do it again. Um, and so more, most importantly, I guess I, um, I am a mother to four uh, really cool little humans um, ranging in age from one to 11. And just, uh, yeah, my, my path started, I guess, like 13 years ago, I was, you know, fresh out of college and working at like Ann Taylor doing really important things in the retail <laughs> world. <clears throat> and, um, um, I mean, my philosophy there was like, I don't want to purchase anything here, so I won't waste my paycheck. And it, it actually didn't end up working. And so I finally was like, it's college is done. It's time to do something useful with my life. Um, and I, I got super lucky and got hired to work for um, a brand new home visitation program in uh, in Los Angeles. So it's actually a first five LA program that is still up and running. Um, and I was lucky enough to be part of the pilot. Um, so it's called Welcome Baby. And one of the, literally one of the very first days that we were in the office, we didn't even have any like clients yet. <laughs> it was so new. Um, and they kind of sat us down and we're like, all right, well, you know, part of your training here is going to be um, as a certified lactation educator. So here's a textbook. We got nothing else for you to do. So start reading. And I think I like on day one of this new job in like literally the year 2010, I opened this book and I was like, oh crap, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it just, it like, I mean, I, I could sort of see, it was, I loved that job and I learned so much and I'm still, I, I'm grateful to still have a lot of connections and friends from that, from that exact place. Um, and I just knew immediately that I was supposed to be doing boobs, like functional boobs. That was my, that was going to be my job. 
Um, and still a lot of what I was lucky enough to learn, I, you know, I think everything gets watered down as it gets pushed out and standardized. So I'm not sure that it's all quite as idyllic uh, anymore as a program as it was, but it was just like the core 20 people, you know, like it's not quite the same. Um, but it was, I was working with a lot of women who were home birthing, breastfeeding, bed sharing, you know, natural minded, which, you know, back in the day, wasn't, you know, an illegal thing to say or worthy of being canceled, like people who really were interested in how our beautiful female bodies worked and using them for their intended purpose, right? Like it was just, I just got so lucky. I walked into like the perfect room, space with women who were already doing that or already on that path. And so by the time I got pregnant with my first in 2011, I was like, well, obviously I'm gonna do all those things. Like, why wouldn't I do all those things? Um, you know, and it was, so I, I, I credit a lot of what I learned, not just from the program, because that program, the training was heavy on, um, attachment theory and breastfeeding. And it was, I don't know that they're still doing that <laughs> with the new people in the program, but, but the women who were running it and, and creating, created this pilot were very intentional in wanting to bring that mentality and that kind of perspective to, um, you know, underserved you know, it was primarily undocumented black and brown women in, you know, central and, and South LA. And so it was a really beautiful, I, I just felt it was very aligned, right? It felt very aligned. Um, and so then I, you know, got knocked up and, and um, had my first and I was like, well, I can't afford a midwife. So we'll just do this at home. And I think 24 hours in, I was like, someone give me drugs. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, we, we, drove off to the hospital and I, you know, lied about when my water had broken and didn't allow them to touch me very much and just said, put me in a room and I'll call you when I need you. Um, and I had to go into like birth warrior mode a little bit. Um, and it was, you know, vaginal birth. And I, I think back on all of the things that I wish I had known, even with all the learning I had done and kind of the undertaking. I had a friend who was a midwife at the time who was like, are you trying to become a midwife during this pregnancy? And I was like, maybe a little bit, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, it didn't, it didn't work as it turns out. So sorry to interrupt you. So you, no, said you didn't have a midwife. Were you planning to free birth? Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. I was, and, and, um, you know, the one big missing piece I now can look back and see was just that I did not have spiritual practice at the time. And I did not understand. I, I think I was prepared physically for the challenge as an athlete. I was like, I can, I can be in pain and feel intensity and push through. Like I've done that forever. Um, and I could, and I did. And, you know, I, I think I still got to the hospital and I only got the epidural, you know, two hours before I was complete and pushed them out. So it wasn't like, I think I just didn't have the understanding of like this very expansive, like elevated. I did not know what it, what an ascension process was. I had no idea what enlightenment was. I was just like, we are following the, you know, this made sense to me. Um, and so I think that piece was, was sorely lacking. And of course I had my, you know, the people who were surrounding me, none of them had ever had or seen a, a natural birth. And, and at some point I was just like, wow, this is a really, oh, we're going to die. Like if I'm here with you people, we're, we're not going to make it. So, um, but I do so much of my work after that baby was born, I transitioned from being in the field to enrolling women into the program after birth. So I moved over to working in a hospital, um, which was great because that was where I was, I got, I mean, a decade's worth, well, like eight years worth of hands-on experience with every possible iteration of birth and breastfeeding that you could imagine, NICU and multiples and, you know, previous surgeries and just all of, you know, demise, like all of the things that can go into lactation because there's still a piece of that that needs to be yeah. addressed in those situations. Um, 
And so I, I loved it because I got to do all of that. And then my second, third and fourth baby, you know, the second and third were born at home um, with midwives. And I really relied on my midwives. The, the fourth, I have a midwife who I am still very, like one of my closest friends. And, um, and I was just like, you know, maybe if I do this again, you just show up and have coffee with me. Like, I feel like, I don't even know if I would need anybody like here to do anything, but just amazing, just having the presence of someone that I love and trust and respect and who I know knows that I'm able to make decisions for myself. And um, I don't think I've had a vaginal check, maybe one in those last three labors, just because I demanded it. Like, I don't think it was ever, you know, um, it was just very, I, I just, these are the people who are just like, oh, you're going to refuse, like, what test do you want? Oh, none of them? Okay, cool. Like, we'll just, we'll go with it. I guess there's not much else to do. So I've gone from being someone who kind of understood the natural way of things to being completely anti-establishment and really just I don't, I don't see much of a purpose for it. Um, so that's just my disclaimer. I am not the person. I mean, it's just, right, I don't know. Right there with you. I just don't know how you can work in that environment. And I did, and I loved it because I really liked being able to have that access and support moms who otherwise would not get the kind of support yeah. um, that I was offering. Um, I mean, like some who I am still working with years later, right? Like that we just kept in touch. And so I don't think I would have... Uh, learned to mother right or been able to move through the challenges of mothering without that group of women that I walked into just by chance right 10 years ago and so um not to give myself too much importance but if I can be a piece of that for anybody you know then that feels like kind of my calling and luckily um, I work with boobs and I get paid to work with boobs. And uh, and so it's also worked as a career, right? Which is, I guess, like the rarest and most wonderful, um, you know, gelling of of things that could possibly happen. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I was in the hospital system for eight, nine years, a really long time. And then um, COVID happened and full disclosure, I thought that was absolute BS. Um, and I sat there and watched what was being done to women and babies. And I was already annoyed with what was being done to women and babies. And now I was like aggressively annoyed. Um, I don't know why they didn't fire me because I asked way too many questions and was a complete thorn in their side. Um, and I think in like December of 2020, I was like, okay, like they're going to start demanding, you know, everybody get the shot. And I don't even, I'm not going to look at that. Uh, and so I was like, well, I guess if I got knocked up now, yeah. I could be on maternity leave when that happens. Um, and that's what happened. And so I literally went out on leave the week before the shots became required for employees. Uh, and then I just milked my disability because I had horrible depression. Mm -hmm. uh, did I? I don't know. Um, but I, I've learned after the third <laughs> after the third kid, I figured out how to how to use the system to my benefit because why shouldn't I? It's you know my system, my money. Um, and I was out for 10 months postpartum. I was building and I just built my business. And so now I'm trying to figure out how to homeschool four kids and run a business that is maybe busier than it needs to be. Um, and just continue to learn from, you know, folks like yourselves and all these wonderful other modalities out there that I think I still have so much to, to learn from because this it, it's, you cannot take a Western medicine approach to birth and postpartum you can't because all of these things are connected as I don't have to preach to the choir here, but we can't ignore pieces, right? Like we can't say, you know, well, you know, like the birthing, whatever happens to the birth is fine. The breastfeeding should just work. It doesn't, it does not work that way. Um, and so when I teach my prenatal classes, like one of the things I say, there are surprising things that 
that support your ability to breastfeed that happen during that you can start doing and should start doing and considering while you're still knocked up <laughs> before the baby is here. Um, and, and how much money and time we women spend on things like planning for our weddings or like getting stupid PhDs. I'm sorry, but I just, I can't anymore with the medical system or the like educational system. Um, and to me, it feels like this birth and breastfeeding and parenting should be afforded at least as much energy as you give the rest of that stuff. Right. And so maybe just a priority shift for, for yeah. some folks. It's yeah. Well, I mean, even you saying with, you know, your first baby that you wanted somebody there, but it was, yeah. you know, financially just not possible. I know Leah right. has a story with her first where she was like, Oh, hospital midwives, you know, it's probably the same thing and you know, it's covered. And, um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's yeah. in one hand, it's hard for us to just give away services and of course, yeah. You know, no, of course. Leah and I work with that all the time on like, how can we still pay our bills and yes. also give support to people? Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think that there's also a lot of flexibility that at least at that time in my own journey as a human, I hadn't, I was, there's still a lot of learned helplessness in some ways. And so the idea of saying, hey, could we make a payment plan? Like my second birth, I don't think I was, I didn't finish paying until she was maybe three months old. Like they just let me, like I, you know, I, I think that if I had had the ability at the time or understanding that it was okay to ask to say, like, is that, can I, can we work on this? I probably could have found somebody like, I just didn't, I just didn't know how to do that at the time. So I do tell people like, ask, you know, like if maybe yeah. you can't, maybe I can't give it away for free, but maybe there's something we could, there's a barter, or maybe there's something that yeah. we can do that, like, there's a payment plan or I can, I don't know. I'm, I, I think at this point I have enough people who pay full price and who can pay full price and are happy to pay full price and sometimes pay more than full price um, that I can, I can find that wiggle room and then finding all those other ways to serve, which I'm sure you got, I mean, hello, this podcast, right? Like other ways to provide information and support. Yeah. yeah I think reciprocity is like what's most important and that can look different um, for different yeah. things. Well, I wanted to rewind just a minute because, you know, for us, like you were talking about the preparation people put in prenatally, um, which in general for any kind of birth, but especially working with the home birth. And we mm. work with women who are wanting to essentially pre-birth, but right. just want some support or maybe even us to come afterwards to do birth certificate and yes, yeah. mom and baby. Um, so, you know, that requires, you know, or we advise even more preparation maybe than of someone course. planning a hospital birth. But, you know, so we'll do like spinning babies or meditations right. or classes. But what yeah. do you tell women that can be helpful in preparation for breastfeeding? I'm curious. <sighs> well, there's that? a couple things. I, I like women to see breastfeeding. So if you can go to a La Leche League meeting or if you can go to support groups or if you can just find other women in your community, now all you have to do is go on Instagram. Like, uh -huh watch, watch it be done. Like watch, watch how women gather their baby and get them latched and get comfortable and manage toddlers at the same time. Get an idea of how this, you know, breastfeeding isn't something that you should have to stop your life for. It needs to work itself into your life. And so being surrounded, I don't know, there's, there's that great urban legend. Maybe, maybe it's real about the gorilla, um, sorry, the gorilla, uh, in, in the, in the, um, God, what it was a zoo in like New York, 
in the 70s or 80s who like they got her pregnant and she was going to have the baby and then she had the baby and it died because she's like I don't know what to do with this thing um and then they were like well let's try this again and they had La Leche League come and do their their meetings like in the gorilla enclosure and so when the second baby was born it took her a minute but she's like oh I've seen this is a learned behavior Mm-hmm. This is not something you yeah. learn by taking a class or like reading a book. Like wow. it's like skateboarding. Like if you get knocked up and they say, well, you know, in, in nine months, you're going to be in the X games and you have to ride a skateboard and you have to win because otherwise you go to jail. Like this is life or death. Um, but you can't, you can't touch a skateboard. Like you could take a book, you know, read a class, take a class and read a book and contemplate, I guess, if you want to, but like, you're still going to fall. There's still going to be some challenges. Um, you know, in that process of, of getting kind of up and running. And so if you can get your eyes on women who are breastfeeding um, and get an idea of what it actually looks like out in the wild, it will, I think, do a great service. It's funny you mentioned spinning babies. I am um, I am trained through the body ready method, um, which Gail Tully, I believe, is somehow uh, engaged in their system. So it's all about, you know, optimal alignment uh, in pregnancy for to improve outcomes and um, and better alignment for mom means better space for baby means less chances they're going to be crunched and twerked and birth will be easier and so latching and feeding will be easier um, and so I recommend to all of my clients to get started with that um, as soon as they can like if you can start prenatally fantastic and if you can't like okay afterwards but things that are going to build strength in a functional way that is it going to um, you know, kick you in the butt in other ways. Cause sometimes I don't know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an alignment junkie myself. And so um, the way the body works is really important in my opinion. Um, and then making sure that you've set up your postpartum support. Do not expect it to be idyllic. Like it's going to be a shit show, excuse my French, but it's going to be a shit show. You're going to wonder why nobody told you <laughs> and you're going to want to kill most of us for, for not explaining it well enough, but having a stocked freezer, having boundaries set with people who you maybe don't need in your space setting up you don't need all of the baby junk honestly I know I love buying it I have a shopping problem myself me love some Amazon um I bought all of the stupid things with that first kid didn't use like 99% of them um and I always say like Amazon Amazon will bring it to you today or tomorrow like if we need it we can get it very quickly it's not like you know 11 years ago back in the day when you had to like order the stuff from you know, who knows where, and it took a month to get to you. It's not the same anymore. Like you can get it instantly. Um, so don't waste your money. Like you don't need necessarily the pillows and like they're fun, nice to haves, but we work around that if we don't have them. And sometimes they're more of a hindrance than a help. Um, and so I tell people that instead of having a registry, have a, have a postpartum fund. You're going to need a chiropractor. You're going to need one. That baby might need a phrenectomy. You know, you're going to want to have someone clean your stupid house or maybe pay someone to come take care of your toddler. You know, like it's it to me, it just makes more sense that. So those are the things, right? Like if you can just pick a few things to do, maybe just shifting that. And then afterwards, if everything's perfect, you don't need the chiropractor, you don't need the phrenectomy and everybody is living their best life. And you don't need the lactation consultant. Then by God, like just go buy all the things. Yeah. <laughs> Spend yeah. the money. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That. We have, we have lactation kits that yes. we use very often, but if we have somebody who is, you know, struggling with supply or nursing or, you know, owie nipples or whatever, that we can leave with them. And it has a scale in it so that they can weigh their baby. And we don't have to do daily visits. We could just like keep tabs on the weight gain. Um, but what would you, what is helpful? Like, what do you find most helpful most of the time 
versus all the things that are just crap. Oh my gosh, I completely missed that question. I was plugging in my computer. Um, I heard most of that about the kit that you have to monitor things. What was the last piece of that question? Oh yeah, it was basically just saying, you know, we have a kit that has some supplies in case mamas need it. Yeah. So they could, because when you need it, you need it now kind of yes. thing, and they can order it later. Yeah. Um, what are the things? Are there things that are like, yes. are actually really helpful? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think most, uh, and granted, my sample size is very skewed towards the dyads that are struggling. Um, so obviously, you know, 100% of my clients are having some challenges, but that doesn't mean everybody is. Um, but I think the idea of having um, like a feeding syringe, like one of the old school slip tip ones, not those weird, stupid ones with all the ridges on the outside now, um, like a good classic uh, feeding syringe, um, I think can be really, really helpful. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, Epsom salt, <laughs> because um, I, I have a sequence I called the boob flow, uh, which I adapted from different things. Um, some of the Maya Bowman, like breast gymnastics, um, but then added some other junk in there as well. Um, so that when, if moms are becoming very full, over full or engorged, um, I like a good flavorless Epsom salt soak, if we can do it. Um, and I think that's something that surprisingly, I don't know, I just sort of have bags of the stuff in my life because I figure... I don't know that we ever use it, but there's a ton of it at my house, um, but not everybody has Epsom salt. So I think that's a useful thing uh, to have on hand. I don't think it's a bad idea to have like some nipple cream just ready to go in case it's, it's an issue. Um, I don't dislike nipple shields. Just going to say it. I don't hate them. I think they can be a really good tool sometimes. Um, and, and again, that's one of those things where like, I have certainly worked with moms who just are not able to get the milk out by hand. We've done all the things. It's a, it's a technique, like it takes some practice. And, you know, after birth, I don't know that we're really in a position to learn something that intensely complex sometimes. Um, and sometimes we just need to get baby on somehow to make things move. Um, and so I've certainly, you know, those, those get used more in my practice maybe than other people's and I don't know bad Chelsea, but whatever, if it, if it does the job quickly, then we do the job. Um, yeah. I yeah. feel strongly stronger about that too. And yeah. over the years, I think it's a great tool. I mean, it's an amazing what, tool. What ends up happening when we use them mostly is like, you know, mom's working on latch. It's a learning process and has some blistering yes. or cracking. And it's yeah. just a cycle where they can't heal if baby just keeps right. laughing. So using right. the nipple shield, you know, not months and months, but just long right. enough no. that the sure. nipple can heal properly. And there's a lot of situations I think where like, you know, old school lactation is like, well, just hold the baby this way and hold the boob this way. And when they do this thing, then you bring them on and then boom, if you could just do that. Um, but babies come out twisted and tweaked and, you know, moms have their own physical challenges after giving birth. And so like, yeah, that perfect aligned. Yeah, that's great. That's really cute. I think I've met like five of those kids. Like they're just, sometimes they just can't do it. You know, I, when I'm seeing families, I tend to do a lot of body work on them myself because we're just trying to get things to like, I need you to be able to move your neck. You have to be able to extend, like you need to be able to open your mouth. Um, and so being able to see a body worker early on um, is I think helpful, like to do some kind of like MFR, you know, craniosacral type stuff can be really useful. Um, and it doesn't even have to be that dramatic, like teaching families how to do massage for their babies, right? Because some of the, most of the kids who need those shields need them for a reason. It's not that they're being 
rude. It's not that they're being lazy. It's that when babies are breastfeeding, there's two big things that they have to do. Well, it's maybe a couple more. It's a lot of, it's two big things and a lot of little things in between. They've got to get suction, like giving a hickey to someone. You've got to get suction and you have to be able to keep that suction. And at the same time, move that tongue to get milk out and manage your oxygen at the same time. So maybe three big things, right? So some babies just can't if there's weakness or if there's tension that's causing dysfunction or if there are ties or other reasons that there's some oral issues, they might not be able to get that latch and keep that latch. And that shield can be the difference between this baby latching and breastfeeding at all ever or never doing it. And they are absolutely used wrong most of the time. They should not be for sale at Target. Like you just should not, they should be doled out by a professional who knows a how to apply them and b how to make sure things are moving and c how to make sure that like we're working towards i i don't want to just have you're not on a shield because it's yes yeah, sometimes it's easier for moms and that's why we use it maybe she can't figure out maybe she's got very tight breasts maybe she just physically can't figure out how to make it work and so this is going to help bridge that gap while she kind of comes back into her body a little bit right um but a lot of the time it's not listen if your baby can't latch or latch well it's a baby problem that's their problem. It's not you. I don't care if your nipples are any belly buttons. It doesn't matter. If a baby can't latch, it's a baby problem, not a mom problem. And so I am a big fan of root cause and I want to figure out why I want to know why your baby can't do this thing, because I firmly believe that if your baby cannot do this, then that is going to set them up for other issues later. Mm-hmm. This is basic shit excuse my french i don't know i should have warned you all i have a very dirty mouth this is basic shit yeah like the average age of human weaning is somewhere around four years of age which means that they don't have you're not supposed to have this figured out the first latch you're not supposed to have it completely ironed out in the first three months this is a long game and the work that they're doing while breastfeeding is whole body work and this is like the baby gym this is where they're going to do the bulk of their growing, which is why, you know, for those of us who had babies with ties, maybe that got missed or ignored or poo-pooed by anybody, um, you know, yeah, we struggled for the first few months and then things got easier, right? That's why all these moms like, oh, it was horrible for the first six to 12 weeks. And then it just got easy. Well, yeah, the baby grew, some things shifted, bones moved. Like there was this bit there, obviously they're going to keep getting stronger, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to keep getting stronger. And the whole point of the boob one of the many points of it is just to be able to help build that strength. But if you've got a baby who can't even get to the gym to start working on things, then we have a bigger problem. And that to me, you know, even uh, in my hospital days, even now I don't really have to convince people to breastfeed quite like I, it was like a, it was like a sales pitch for a lot of years. I was like, please just try. Um, But I don't really find myself in that position so much anymore because now people are seeking me out and there are people who are, who want the help. Um, which I'm grateful for because I'm a terrible salesperson. You can go ahead and ask my former boss at Ann Taylor. I was the worst. <laughs> I don't need any of these things, okay? I'm the worst. Um, but okay. even, in, even in those days when I was working with families who were adamant that they didn't want to breastfeed, had no interest in it, um, even those kids, I just want to know that they can. you know. And I still want them to get, to be fed the right way with the right tools, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's still it matters. It really matters. And, you know, I know that our, our systems, um, don't make any money off of healthy people. Sorry, they just don't. Um, and so there's, there isn't a whole lot of impetus from, from the system, from the medical system, from any of the systems to, to help us help ourselves or make things better. 
right? It's like, if there isn't a pill for it, then it isn't really an issue. Um, it's in your head, right? If we can't fix it with some drugs then it's in your head. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the things that, that babies are being prescribed, things like antacids for um, are related to oral function. So if anybody would just pay attention to what's happening to this baby in their mouth and maybe their whole body, depending on what's going on, you know, we could see huge drops, I think, in speech issues and solid food feeding and respiratory issues and ADHD, which is now being primarily uh, blamed on sleep disordered breathing, which is related to oral dysfunction. That's right. Can't keep that tongue up. You can't nose breathe. You can't nose breathe. You can't sleep right. So I don't know. I mean, how much of this could be avoided if we just gave babies what they needed at birth, right? So that's my, that's my hill. <laughs> that's the hill I'm going to die on. I have a question about nipples. You had mentioned um, any belly buttons, uh, meaning like inverted nipples. Yes, um, do you feel like women with inverted nipples, um, like what is needed to be able to breastfeed? I have a past client who had actually had surgery to try to... Evert them? I was like, expert them? What do you call it? I don't know. That's a weird, yeah, that's a, that's a weird plan. Interesting. And, you know... Um, we did a lot of work and eventually she wasn't able to continue pumping or chose not to. Sure. Um, so she wasn't able to, but um, she is pregnant again. And yeah. your advice for someone with inverted nipples. Well, I would, I mean, for her in particular, I'd be more concerned about what the surgery that tried to correct them did to her. Yeah. Yes. Right. That would be my bigger concern. Like maybe the milk is there, but can we get it out or have those ducts and openings been severed and damaged by scar tissue? Like that would be one thing I'd be. So I would say if she can start doing some myofascial release work with someone um, for in her thoracic cavity, it might be a, a nice way to go just to mitigate any um, scar tissue buildup or any funky stuff that might be going on. Um, honestly, I think that with inverted nipples, when I have clients who come to me, and honestly, I have not met many true inverted nipples. I think I've seen, you know, like I've, I've been doing this for a while. So maybe like 20 actual like inverted nipples. Um, and everybody could benefit from this recommendation that I'm going to make. But I think that if you, if she could be evaluated by a lactation consultant, provided support in making sure all of her pumping stuff is ready to go, not using that stupid Medela pump and style that went to shit after the insurance required it, right? Not that pump, not the 24 millimeter flanges, making sure that she knows how to pump. She knows what size equipment she needs. She knows how to hand express, which is far more important in that first few days anyways. Um, that is key, right? So so in situations like that, where there's been a, a history of you know, lactation, not like lactation failure, but breastfeeding failure, right? Latching failure. Um, I would want that baby to be prepared to be worked on by a body worker, if possible, in the first 24 hours after birth, have a chiropractor ready to go. Let's just make sure that this kid can do work and that mom knows how to get the milk out efficiently, assuming it can get out based on, on that, that surgical history. Um, and sometimes second babies are just different. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. the boobs are just different things are whether you pumped or breastfed or did a combo of both or did it for a week or 10 years it doesn't matter like things have stretched time has passed gravity has done its job um yeah and so I think that it tends to just be easier all around with that second baby anyhow um but I would see if if working with a lactation consultant and then you know anybody who's got most PPO insurances will cover lactation 
Um, and she could try going through the lactation network if she has that, um, that kind of insurance, because she may be able to find someone that she can work with prenatally through, I don't know, whatever. Like I sometimes see people 10 or 15 times, right? Like it just depends on the situation. Um, and that would be covered by insurance. So options, right? I think that working with a professional is helpful. It might also be worth having like, you know, I don't know, getting in touch with like the local pediatric dentist, like airway, like, you know, the airway dentist will do a, who's doing releases on babies and get information on occupational therapists that they work with. And because again, that's, that's more of a baby problem than it is a mom health. That wasn't because she had inverted nipples. That was because that baby couldn't get suction. I have had hickeys all over my body. I don't have nipples. You don't need a nipple. You don't need a protrusion. You shouldn't need a protrusion to get suction. Right. And if that's the challenge, then yes, we make sure mom can get the milk out and express and do it efficiently and in a way that is convenient. So she's not stuck attached to a wall with that stupid medella just makes me so mad. Um, like, why are we sitting here? Right. Like just stuck to a wall all day long in a corner by herself, like making it so that it's functional and doable and works into her life versus being something she has to stop everything to do. But then also like focus on that baby, because if if there's challenges with the birth, not challenges, if it's a prolonged labor, if baby's a little asynclitic or in a funky spot or it takes a while to move, like all of those things, she's pushing for more than 30 minutes. All of those things are going to impact that baby's ability to latch to yeah. some extent. And so the more we can do, obviously if she's got you guys, then that piece is handled, right? Um, and then the other piece would just be, let's start getting milk out. Let's make sure we're getting out as much as we can in that first hour after birth. Um, so you can see a shift to mature milk production in 48 hours for a lot of moms. If we just get the milk out in that first hour, like the goal is colostrum. The boobs are like gas tanks. They're colostrum tanks. Okay. Like, just like when you're driving your car and the gas level hits whatever that sensor is that turns on the light and you go fill up the tank. We just need to get the colostrum down to whatever level your boobs need it to go down to, to trip the light and your brain to go, oh shit, baby's here. We got to make the milk. And that's where that switch is going to happen. And so the faster we empty the girls of the colostrum, whether it's with the baby or our hand or a combination of the two, the faster you're going to see that milk, um, output that that shift in that that mature milk production so i don't know I, i've yeah yeah and i heard you mention flange size which i yes. see on instagram and all that it's like a new topic that people are really really focused finally on. yes yeah um can you speak on that because maybe some people listening haven't even yes. heard that they're absolutely so the standard size flanges, which the flange being, of course, the part of the pump that goes on the breast, the nipple, the two, the, the, the little tunnel, the nipple is going to be sucked into for lack of a better term when you're pumping. Um, that's the flange and the flanges that you will receive with any pump that you purchase or have, uh, their, their standard sizes are 24 or somewhere between 24 and 28. So they'll usually send you a couple that are like 24 and 27 or like a 25 and a 28. Bonkers, bonkers, because most women are like a 17 or a 19, right? And so I think people, or maybe at the pump companies, they don't understand that there's a difference between a nipple and an areola. The whole areola does not need to get into that flange. That is not, we would like as much of it as possible in the baby's mouth. We don't want any of that areola in the flange. We don't want any, we just want the nipple. Like, so you want to figure out, 
you know, and as even with someone who is has inverted or flat or retractile nipples, you can still kind of like feel like if you pinch where the nipple is, you can still feel where it is. And then you can measure, there's a $5 uh, homeschool stencil thing that I got for the kids that has millimeters, like five bucks on Amazon. Anybody can like whatever, figure out what size nipple you have or as close as you can get to the right millimeter size and add two to three millimeters to get the flange that you need. Most women need a size 17 or 19 flange. Every pump comes with like a 24 and a 27. So it's sucking the areola in instead of just pulling on the nipple, which minimizes your letdowns and therefore your pumping output. And it can be very painful, actually, very painful. Um, so that is critically important. Yeah, sorry. Can you clarify, are you saying that when pumping, only the nipple should be in or that so far only the nipple should be in and more of the areola should be in? What are we looking only for? the nipple, only the nipple. The only thing that should be entering the flange is the nipple, not the areola. Because like with breastfeeding, we're like, yeah, don't exactly. baby stuck yeah. on your nipple, like gotta right. get the whole areola right. in. So, so the reason, yes. No, the reason it's a good, it's a very good point. And the reason it's different is because when babies, and this is very simplified, so please everybody out there who is a brilliant like oral function expert, just like roll your eyes at me, but I'm just I'm very, very simplifying here. Babies, when they are latched, get suction one time and then they use so that's negative pressure and then they use positive pressure and the muscles of the tongue to help extract the milk and get the letdowns going. The pump does not have the capacity to do that. It can only suction. And so what your nipple is doing in a pump is not the same as what it's doing inside your baby's mouth, right? So it is a completely different physical process. So what we're trying to do is trigger more letdowns because the more letdowns we trigger, the more milk you'll get. If you don't have the capacity to also do that positive pressure, you know, and also compress with the pump, then we just, we need to maximize that negative pressure and that suction, right? And the way we do that, because, you know, if you twiddle a nipple, you'll, you'll get milk flowing, right? Like the, it's the tugging and the yanking and the pulling and the twirling and the rolling of the nipple that releases, that causes that oxytocin flow, right? So baby has to do work, but if we're getting more, you know, they'll, they'll latch and they'll do all the wonderful things and their tongue is doing a lot of work to get milk out. And then they have the benefit of mom's letdowns to help augment that, right? With the pump, that is all we have is mom's letdowns. We don't have any help from the baby and all of that wonderful stuff. So it's, it's a very different. It's very different. I, you do not want the areola in the flange because that's not stimulating the nipple efficiently to get the letdowns happening. I don't know if that makes any sense. Such okay. good, important information that yeah. is just not commonly given to no. women. No, not at all. So it's really important. Like if you do anything, if you do anything, it's get a good, good pump, have a good pump ready to go, learn how to hand express and make sure you have the right equipment, you know, and, and we can, you can size yourselves. Like there's, you know, it doesn't have to, I do like when I see moms prenatally or even postpartum, like. I'm, I'm going to size you and, and there's great, um, these fun little like silicone, uh, inserts that you can shove into a 24 that will reduce a 24 flange that will reduce it to all the way down to a 13 if you need to, um, because those are more common than you can possibly imagine. Um, and so they're very easy to find. Amazon will bring it tomorrow. Um, but if latching might be a challenge, then really being prepared to have, have everything on deck to, to work with is going to be uh, is going to be the, that's the key. Cause if we have a bang in milk supply, we can get, we can work with babies for months and get them latching. 
right? Like we can, we absolutely can. I do it pretty frequently. Um, but if we have a supply that is lacking, right? Cause we were building, I hate calling it supply. It's not really a milk supply. You don't have a milk supply, you have milk production, right? And so if our production is adequate, um, you know, by the time our hormones regulate in that third to fourth month postpartum, um, then you've got a great baseline. Then your production baseline is set and it's high enough that it could feed the baby for the rest of the year. And it's fantastic. Um, and if it's, if, if it's not, and we didn't quite get the work done, you know, I think it's why we're so pushy in the beginning, right? It's because we're like, we have a time limit. Like there is a, <laughs> there is a point at which I can't help you anymore. So let's just, I know it's a really rude, horrible thing to make you do after everything you just did. Um, unfortunately though, it's like kind of now or never. Um, so yeah. That's, I think that, especially if they can see someone for help with this uh, prenatally, even just to put your mind at ease, like, mm -hmm. you know, shit can go wrong. Things can get funky. Like it's, it's, it's not just you. It's also the baby. You've got this whole, you've both gone through, even in the most perfect idyllic birth, it's a little bit traumatic. Like there's still stuff that happened, right? There's, um, and so giving moms like a reasonable expectation where I think for so many years, just in an effort to fight the pushing a formula, right? And the the degradation of breastfeeding and lactation. I think there was this push like, nope, it's perfect. Just breastfeed your baby. It's going to be fine. They're born to breastfeed. It's going to be great. If you can't do it now, you, you got to get it. Just do it. Keep latching. It doesn't matter if it hurts. Your nipples can fall off. It's fine. You're going to be okay. And we were so like afraid to say, no, bitch, this is going to be hard. Like this is, this is not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. This is going to be harder than training for the marathon. Like this is going to be, this is life or death. You know, and even if it's not, because realistically it's not in our bodies, in our primitive nervous systems, this is life or death, mm -hmm. right? And so there's nothing wrong with being like, I want this to work. And so knowing what could go on, what could happen, preparing yourself for it, just the way you would prepare for anything important in your life. Like, obviously, I mean, my feeling, you know, I guess it doesn't hurt that I make some money when people care about this, but also not making that much money. <laughs> it's not like... One day I will. I'm going to be a millionaire eventually. It's somewhere on this timeline. Um, do these jobs to get rich. No, nobody is doing this to make money. Like this isn't this isn't the thing that's going to. I don't have an account offshore anywhere. Like I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, the formula company executives do, but I don't. <laughs> okay, so what you say is about like immediately postpartum about like as much colostrum as we can get out yeah. as possible you know we can make more milk so is that a recommendation that you have like kind of across the border for people or more for people who like everybody everybody issues? because as, as you guys know it's the interplay of those hormones that progesterone drop so a baby being latched and continuing the oxytocin flow to get that uterus contracting to detach the placenta and that immediate progesterone drop after the, the placenta detaches, that, that's what opens up the floodgates. Progesterone keeps the baby and the milk in. As soon as that opens, and if we're removing milk, when that happens, falls to the wall, milk everywhere, quickly. you know, And that's how it's supposed to work. Dr. Google will tell you, you've got three to five days. That's common, it's not normal. And it's common because of the way birth is messed with, mm -hmm. um, particularly in the US, right? And so we have to take advantage. It doesn't mean that if it didn't happen, we can't get back on track. Absolutely, we can. And sometimes that was my biggest lesson of leaving the hospital and not being in that space and working with moms for weeks and months, You know, realizing that if it doesn't happen right away, it can still happen for most women. We just have to be diligent about it. Um, and sometimes it is five days. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks. Like sometimes... I don't know. Sometimes things are just funky. Um, 
But the way this is supposed to work for the vast majority of humans is that the baby is supposed to come out and immediately latch to help with the birth of the placenta. Mm -hmm. And the birth of the placenta, the detachment of the placenta from the wall of the uterus is what opens the floodgates of milk, right? And so we're supposed to take advantage of that. I had some amazing nurses um, in the, especially the last hospital that I worked at who would call me when, when they had a mom who was going, we had, a, we had level three NICU, um, a very sick population for the most part for all of the reasons that have nothing to do with the color of their skin and everything to do with how they're treated. Like just nobody cares. Like these are not people that anyone's paying attention to and in the community and the entire, whatever, it was a mess. Uh, but they would call me when moms were in recovery and baby might be in NICU. And so I'm there just hand expressing boobies on a table. Like I have hand expressed boobies on the operating table while mom's being sewn up. I'm not collecting most of it. I'm not, and I know, I know colostrum is amazing. We're supposed to bow down to it. And, but all that good shit is, is realistically, if your baby needs it, it's still going to be in the mature milk that you're producing. I just kind of want it sometimes out of the way. Sometimes I'm like, if I can get you flowing like a river by day two or day three, then your baby stands a much better chance in NICU, um, for example. Right. So I don't know. I, I, uh, I like colostrum. It's good stuff. It's important. And, and sometimes I'm not as concerned about collecting it as I am in helping mom get that transition going. Because the most common time for, for breastfeeding to fall apart is in the second or third day after birth, right? That's where everyone's hit a wall. <laughs> the hormones, the endorphins have worn off. Everyone yep. is exhausted. Everyone is sore. Mom is usually uncomfortable. If nipples are pissed, it's usually, that's when we're getting them mad. Um, in the hospital day two is when formula starts most often because babies wake up and they have some feelings about it all. Um, and I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's a mental game. And so helping moms make that shift more quickly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at least even if we're having latching issues, if we've got milk coming out of your ears, we can work with it, mm -hmm. you know, and then the pressure is off. Right. So I don't know, maybe that's like a bad lactation consultant thing to say, but like, eh, okay, colostrum, like, all right, great. <laughs> just sometimes we just get it out of the way. So I have a quick question, um, about the time between the birth. And okay, so here, I guess I'll try to say this clear. So what I often say is, first of all, we try to get baby latched after the birth, right? for sure. Mm -hmm. um, ideally in the first hour, I think because, you know, with our clients, like we try not to touch babies unless we have permission yep. Yep. or we feel like it's really needed, which it almost never is. Um, so we hardly ever catch babies, moms do, or partners do, and yeah. we don't do hats or blankets. Babies just go right Amazing. to mom's chest and we don't usually touch the baby even, yep. you know, unless it's helping the mom out of the tub or, you know, something like that. Sure. Um, so often breastfeeding is initiated very soon after the yes. birth. No. Um, but then, you know, kind of on the when we're leaving in our postpartum instructions, what I often say is like, you know, baby's tired from the birth. Yes. Um, so if they, when they sleep, just let them sleep and use that time to rest. And yeah. then when baby wakes up, that's when we want to get on that regular schedule. So do you still think that's a good idea or do you feel like that's time that could be used to get that colostrum emptied out? You think it's fine? If baby is latching, then that is likely, that is the gold standard for colostrum removal. Okay. That's the gold standard. That um, flash yeah. before the sleep. Absolutely. Um, and they should, right? Like, cause they, they do have that tendency to be kind of grumpy and be like, what the hell I'm back. What have I done? Taking a moment to kind of process 
what just happened. Um, and yes, and I would expect them usually what, like that five or six hours out, just be like snoozing, right? Which is great. Um, I'm, it's more of a like, if you have a baby who won't latch, can't latch, is too sleepy even in the beginning to kind of get things going. I think your demographic is going to be very specifically not people who have babies who are super drugged up and right. So they're a little bit more vigorous, a bit more functional and a lot more helpful. Um, I'm thinking more of those occasional times when we have a baby who really, even after the idyllic hands-off, you know, physiologic birth is still like sucking on their tongue or, you know, not really getting that coordination that needs to happen. Um, in those cases, mom should know how to hand express herself. Mm -hmm. Dad can help if you're comfortable with it. Like I, I, somebody can and should be messing with the boobies if the baby can't, <laughs> I think is, is sort of the goal. So gold standard is kiddo comes out, gets on the boob, latches within that. There's a whole, I mean, the entire hospital system is even like promoting that they do the first, the, the golden hour, because we know how important that first, not just for the baby's physiology, but also for milk production. They don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they say they do. They say they do. Yeah. They said they they play, you know, they play um lip service like they should because there's fucking evidence. Whatever. It's fine. I'm just the boob lady. I'm just the boob lady. <laughs> but like even they know. Even they know. Like the program I started working for is funded by the government. Even they know. They know. Right. And so I, you know, if if baby can do the work. They say to get women through the door. Of course, that's all it is. Oh my God, one of the hospitals I worked at in, in downtown LA was like, we have a birth tub. I worked there for eight years. I never saw that tub. I have no idea where that fucking tub was. Where's the tub? I think one yeah. person used it our, in theory. Our <laughs> local hospital rebuilt like an, you know, a new part of the hospital with a new labor and delivery. And each room had a birth tub Dude. for so many years. And it was like, you know, there wasn't a step that was the correct height for women to get in and out of it safely great or whatever it was but and yeah. then they still advertise that they yeah. just say, oh we have you know on the tours people would say oh we did a tour and each room has a birth tub and i'll say yeah they've had them for six years and we have two providers who are capable of actually attending this birth and most of them are I mean, none of, nobody's allowed to birth in the it's tub bizarre it's just like okay what a waste of money like you guys could have just gotten more anesthesiologists i don't understand it doesn't i don't know it's a very uh, for all their um wanting to i am the daughter of an economist uh and so part of me is like if you're gonna do it like go balls to the wall and just be the hospital and like get more of the things to be the hospital like i don't know why you would be playing this game you're not gonna let anybody use it just feels like they're not very good with their money. I don't know. It's just me. Yeah. Well, again, it just gets people through the door. <laughs> That's all it does. Yeah. So it's it's just a it's a body count thing. So yeah, I mean, I I think for those moms, it's a little bit more challenging. And when I have moms who who take my prenatal breastfeeding class or um, you know, whatever, like if you're going to be in the hospital, this section of the class is for you. <laughs> like here are the things that you this is what actually happens. This is how it's actually going to go down. This is what going with the flow looks like in the hospital. Um, and here's how you manage it because there's, I'm very lucky and very grateful that I think I would bet that like 70% of my clients are home birth or birth center families. Um, or that was the intention, right? So the, a lot of my, uh, hospital birth families are transfers that, you know, didn't transfer for anything dramatic. It was just, you know, whatever. 
um, day five, mama needed to sleep, yeah. like that kind of situation. Posterior baby. Totally. It's something just funky and, you know, where mom was just done. Um, and I think that's the majority of, of my clients, which I'm really grateful for because for a decade, it was just everybody who had been like through the chop shop of L and D. Um, and, and it was just, it was a lot. I mean, like the pediatrician at the last hospital I worked at would like see me coming and he would like turn and like walk in the other direction. I was like, I mean, if you can't face me, am I wrong? I don't know. I just, am I wrong? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. And maybe I'm just an annoying Gemini and I pretend I know all the things. It's fake it till you make it. Gemini is forever. There you go. Thank you. Right. You get a bad rap. But we're we too. We ex- I mean, I exhaust myself to be fair. Um, a lot of the time, but just, just slow down. Um, but I think it's important. I mean, I don't know. I I think if we're gonna be, if we're gonna follow the science and follow the evidence, and the evidence points to ninety plus percent of women not walking into a hospital as their first plan, as their default plan for birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have to, or believe you have to, or are still in a mindset that that's your only option, then there's still ways to work around it. Um it's going to be harder and you just prepare for it mm-hmm. yeah 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 well we would love for you to plug yourself and ah. do you do like virtual consulting we'd love to know that too because I, know I do it makes sense to really be hands-on but sometimes yeah. virtual is helpful too so I don't know girl I feel like in the last three years much again I mean kicking and screaming I have I think we have mastered the I mean, I walk, I can walk families through an or a functional oral assessment. And um, as long as they're able to get, um, you know, some additional support from chiropractors and stuff. Yes, I do provide um, virtual support. I think the farthest person away from me I worked with was in Spain. <laughs> so there's that. Um, further than that. Yeah, I mean, really, I actually think it probably doesn't because then you just get closer. Um, <laughs> Uh, I do. And I do also teach uh, the Mammary Masterclass virtually the first Thursday of every month um, from 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My intention, I'm saying this out loud so I get it done, is to get that class recorded so that people who are not in that time zone um, can still uh, listen in if they if they so choose. Um, and that's something that's open to everybody. I am connected through the lactation network. So if you are someone with, uh, you know, PPO insurance, most of them are covered. And then I just bill them for you, which is beautiful. Um, and then I do have, uh, you know, lots of other nonsense that I do. I support with uh, physiologic infant sleep consulting. So not the kind where you stick them in a box and pretend they can learn some shit when they're stressed out. Um, teaching families how to safely bed share and, uh, and do all of that kind of good stuff. Um, and energy work. Cause if I'm going to be a witch may as well be full witch. Why not? Um, yeah. And I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram at boobs.sleep.healing. Uh, and that is also my website, boobssleephealing.com because why not? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's, I mean, I'm sure there's more stuff I could say, but I'm, uh, terrible at self-promotion. So that's about all I can think to right, say at the moment. Right, right there with you. Yeah. And it's again, so we'll, put, we'll put all that in the show notes so people can go to your Instagram awesome. and find you. Watch me rant about pediatricians. <laughs> <laughs> You're in good company. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our no, podcast. It was such a pleasure. And amazing to hear your perspectives on things and your advice for families and birth workers. And we just really appreciate you and the work you're doing. You guys, right back at you. And thank you for having me. This is a blast. (laughs) All right, everybody. Till next time.
Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us at Born Wild Podcast on Instagram. For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A. Sophia at sophiabirth.com. And me, Leah, at Bay Area Home Birth. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always, stay stay wild. wild.